This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You guys ready? All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. Before we get into it with Ryan and Vince from Broadback Ironworks, let's take care of a little bit of business. What do you say? Well, just to let you know, Broadback Ironworks sponsors the Full Blast Podcast. And I'm very grateful to them for sponsoring the show. They make amazing 2 by 72 grinders and attachments for not only knife makers, but for sculptors, for woodworkers, for everybody. And if you don't know what a 2 by 72 grinder is, it's a grinder that uses a 2-inch by 72-inch belt. And then you're getting a ton of action on your belts with a beautiful grinder that has VFDs. And you can also have different attachments. And you have great attachments for whatever you're doing, for knife making, for woodworking, for metalworking. And even if you don't have a Broadback Ironworks chassis, you can use their grinders attachments for other grinders as well. If you go to BroadbackIronworks.com and you put in the promo code knife talk 200 you're going to get 200 off their grinder packages the max the premium and the mega if you put knife talk 100 you're going to get a discount of 100 for their sharpening system surface grinder and leather sewing machines and let me tell you what's coming up ladies and germs the black friday special from november 20th through the 27th is going to be a big deal you're going to save 325 dollars on their max plus package you're going to save 415 dollars on their premium plus grinder package and you'll save $545 off their mega super mega package not to mention there's going to be 10% off all their attachments $200 off their surface grinders attachment you're going to get savings for Black Friday guys but it's only November 20th through the 27th don't play around Broadback Ironworks are great we're going to hear their whole story today I can't wait to hear about that but in the meantime, they're working for you. They're working with you and working for you. So go check out Broadback Ironworks. Definitely follow them on Instagram. They're making grinders for the best. If they're, the, if they're making for the best, then that's good enough for you. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax is all-natural food safe wax for your axe, for your wood, for your handles, whatever you got. Okay? And if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all of your order. That means... You get a couple pucks of Axe Wax, put in Full Blast 10, you can get 10% off, okay? If you are in the UK, go to UKKnifesupplies.com, put in Full Blast 10, they're going to accept uh, they're going to accept Full Blast 10 they're gonna, for 10% off. If you're in the EU, knifematerial.at is going to accept Full Blast 10. If you're in Australia, Gamaco is going to accept Full Blast 10. That's artisansupply.com.au. And if you're in Australia, also nordicedge.com.au is accepting Full Blast 10. Once again, Noah is the man, and I really love this uh, this stuff. It's uh, especially if you're making... If you're making stuff that's culinary, it's just as well to have something all-natural food safe, don't you think? That's what I think. Next is, guys, Total Boat. TotalBoat.com makes adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds for boaters and DIYers. They started out making products for boaters and DIYers, and then they realized that the the maker community could benefit from... from, from um, from using their products too. So if you go to totalboat.com, you put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. You get yourself, get yourself some of that two-part epoxy, get yourself some of that UV Cure Clear Resin, 
whatever it takes. If you want, you can check out what Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Keith Decent, Jimmy Duresta just made some sort of, he made an ice block with a mummified gopher in it. And he used Total Boat to, to make this, like, it's like the Iceman, but it's like, it's like a gopher. It's a dead gopher. It's fine. He did a great job. And if you go to Total Boat, if you go to TotalBoat.com, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your stuff. Why don't you give it a try? I've been using it for knife handle scales, and I love it. So go get yourself some of that Total Boat, okay? Next is Trojan Horse Forge. These guys make an awesome stable rail knife finishing vise. It is not just a vise for your handles. If you, you have, there's two sides and it's a, it's, it fits into your vise and then there's a plate that mounts to the bracket. And what happens is, is you are, you have pads, uh, rubber pads. You can put your knife in and hand sand the blade and, and it supports a kukri. It supports a distal taper. It supports a integral bolster. It, it curves, whatever you got, they've figured out a way to support your blade while you're hand sanding. Then you turn it around. You put your handle on, you stick it in, and it protects the blade, and then you can uh, work on your handle 360 degrees. It's fantastic. So go to Trojan Horse Forge, and if you put in the promo code Full Blast, you're going to get free shipping in the United States. They have uh, limited supplies. I think they make them in batches. You can get on their uh, mailing list and figure out when they're making new batches, but it's definitely worth it. Um, and you know, if you decide, and oh, I love, really love one of these vices, but I just can't lump out all that money. They have payment plans as well. So go get yourself some of that Trojan, Trojan horse forge, stable rail knife finishing vice. I'm with you. And last but not least maritime knife supply. I got to meet, uh, Lawrence Lake at, uh, maker camp this past, uh, October. And we had a great time. Maritime knife supply ca maritime knife supply dot canada uh dot com and i know what you're saying canada why do you say canada well they're in canada and they supply uh all sorts of uh knife finishing things knife making things belts abrasive steels kilns forges presses uh, heat treating ovens anvils whatever you need they have axe wax they have the great Laren Thomas's book, Knife Engineering. He's got all the TR Maker stuff. This He's got steels. He's got all sorts of stuff, and he is a knife maker. Lawrence Lake is a knife maker, and he is making sure that he has all the best stuff for you if you're in Canada. And if you're in the United States, he's also shipping stuff out fast, too. I get stuff from him sent out. It's just as fast as I was going to get from the United States. So definitely go check them out. And right now, Maritime Knife Supply just announced that they made a... They made a scholarship at the New England School of Metalwork that is making giving funds to people 16 to 30, uh, including travel, accommodations, and uh, intro to a, the ABS class. If you go to follow, uh, if you go to follow Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram, there's a link tree in his bio, and it gives you the you can see the application. Uh, starting November 1st, this application is to get, you know, get people into the, the New England School of Metalwork. He's doing a great job in the metalworking community, and I appreciate what he's doing, not to mention most people in the knife-making community, too. So go follow Lawrence over at uh, Maritime Knife Supply. Get yourself some stuff from him, and bada-bing, bada-boom. My guests today are friends of mine that I really, really appreciate. Um, Vince Molina, Ryan Broadbeck are the owners of Broadbeck Ironworks, one of the most fascinating um, grinder companies in the country, United States. And I'm happy to have you here. Guys, how are you? Doing great, man. It's 
an honor to be here. Really, I'm really looking, been looking forward to uh, to today since uh, you know we we signed up to do it. Brian, how are you? Oh well, um, definitely very excited uh, about today. Um, had you told me when I started, you know, getting into knife making that, well, first of all, I didn't know who Jeff Fader was at first. Um, Nor should you. Why should you? That, <laughs> well, actually, Jay Nielsen was the one that told me to go look up Jeff Fader. That's not true. That is. I have it in the notes in my phone from when we visited his house in 2019 and when he got his first grinder. Jay Nielsen, I have never had any kind of conversation with Jay Nielsen. He couldn't possibly know. He, I think, he, hey, listen, let's, let's be clear. He probably knows Knife Talk, but he, don't know, he knows Craig from Knife Talk, but I'm sure he does not know me, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, his his name his, or yours was the name he threw out of like knife makers to go look at their work. Wow, we 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 took a lot of notes when we were there, man. Because you got to remember, between being super starstruck and having that be, you know, what we thought was going to be our golden ticket, you know, to getting Broadpick off the ground. Yeah, Ryan is an avid note taker. That man writes notes about everything. I would imagine so. I, I wanted to start off by saying how great it was to hang out with you guys at Maker Camp. It was this is the second year you guys have been at Maker Camp, and it was great seeing you guys with the booth and having Mareko Momasi making a knife in your booth, which was amazing to watch. Did you guys have a good time? Oh, absolutely! A Maker Camp is my favorite event every single year. Um, it's just, it's awesome to go hang out with everybody, um, you know, that you kind of follow on, you know, online, you know, just, you really can't keep up with in person. And, you know, it's really cool to, you know, hang out with, you know, the best of the best as well. I mean, there's so many good makers there. It, it's, Baker Camp's interesting, and I talked to uh, I talked to a few people who are in, you know, they like you. They have a small company, and they do the rounds of uh, conferences and stuff like that. And they say the same thing to me, and, and to me, you know, that it's it's so much more fun, it's so much more relaxed than other conferences that they don't have to worry so much about sales pitches and stuff like that. And you get to you get to meet with people, and it was interesting to me because as a person who doesn't really like to have to hustle things too much I don't, i'm not i have no interest like to me like i would i would be i don't know if i could have enjoyed it if i were in your boots you guys seem like you were really having a good time yeah see makers camp for us is is, is a 50 50 thing you know obviously you want to go and, and get exposure but at the same time like ryan said i mean it's we almost do it more just to hang out with our friends and and yeah. you know get uh really enjoy their company um we really get to talk to some of our customers um you know one of the things that we run into a lot is a lot of our sales are done online and we never really get to shake somebody's hand and listening to the stories and just being able to meet you know our customers is 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 just is it's just different you know It, it just it happens at a more personal level at uh, Maker's Camp that he does at Blade Show or any of the other events? Well, there's a few reasons why. And I, I think about it a lot. And I think about one of the reasons why is because it is kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, that it's hard that if you're going to go there, you're making a concerted effort to go there. It's not like a casual thing to do. Like Blade Show, which is amazing, it's still in the middle of Atlanta. And it's really so many people from around the area are there. 
if you're going to you go to the Irish Alps <laughs> to go to Maker Camp, you are there for a reason. It's a it's a you destination situation. You're committed, right? So and then. At night, there are these great, there are these fires, and everyone's drinking beer, and we're meeting and talking. You know, I know that I know that I was talking baseball with a lot of the guys, and it was just like you, you get red. a different vibe, a different vibe than you would at like you know when you have a room and you you know you you go standing in front of a booth and stuff like that. So, tell me, tell me, tell me, Ryan. How did you start making? Were you a knife maker from the beginning, or tell me how you got involved with knife making? So, uh, growing up, I would go to um, different reenactments and rendezvous, different things, um, see a lot of handmade items. That's kind of how I got into making itself, and you know, going and looking and seeing all of the awesome, you know, 18th century handmade knives, things like that. I was like, well, I, those knives are really expensive. And I mean, at the time, I mean, I'm, I'm in grade school. So, I mean, it's $150 knife is way out of my league. And, uh, so yeah. And then I just, uh, I've always had an interest in them and I decided, well, I can't afford it. So I'll, I'll try to make my own, I'll, you know, cut it out of a saw blade and I got a piece of antler and we'll figure it out from there. And that's kind of how I made my very first knife. Um, and then I actually got completely out of it. For a little while, I guess I never really picked it up as a hobby yet. Um, not until kind of after college and um, kind of was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try making a knife again. You know, I've really been big into hunting and, you know, maybe I could do it as a little side hustle. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it all started. And I couldn't afford a grinder, so I built my own. And that's really kind of how Broadback started as well. Wait a second. So uh, what year were you, what number one is you're in grade school and then you decide to cut a saw blade out. Yeah. Was your, what did your your parents do that you were able to have that kind of abilities? Uh, I actually, I grew up on a farm or a small farm um, in In Ohio, right? Yep. Yeah. Just across the border in Indiana. I mean, I think we were like a mile from the border. Um, So yeah, growing up on a small farm, you got to learn how to fix a lot of things. And my dad was in construction. So I mean, naturally, I was taught how to how to use my hands and, and work and build things. Huh. And and then, so you you're seeing your dad's in construction, and you decide at what point do you think I'm going to be able to I'm going to figure out how to buy a build a grinder. Um, that wasn't until after I got my after college until I got my degree. So yeah, I made kind of made my first knife, and I mean we made all kinds of stuff growing up. You know, whether it was. We made a like a trebuchet the one time, just kind of screwing around. I think we tore that thing apart like thirty times trying to figure out the balance point and all that. Excuse me, um, a trebuchet is not something to fuck around. I mean, that's a that's a, per, that's a pretty big endeavor to, to fool around with. What did you go to college for? Uh, mechanical engineering. There you go. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, the, 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 that kind of led me very yeah right into the mechanical engineering stuff. Yeah, so tell me about the trebuchet. Trebuchet is like a giant catapult, but it's got a lot more it's got a lot more parts, right? Yeah, Ryan is like, "Yeah, man, uh, we just, you know, we mel- we built a nuclear engine, you know, no big ah. deal, just right at the farm, you know." You, yeah, you didn't really go for the easiest thing to build. You could have just like built a slingshot or a catapult. No, I, we're going to go trebuchet, which has got like I mean, can you describe the mechanics of a trebuchet? Uh, so essentially you have a, uh, a, a set of uprights with a cross beam and that's kind of where the, the throwing arm lays. Um, and then you have a weight on one side, um, 
and you're, you know, throwing, you know, it's usually like some type of sling or something like that on the other side. And, um, you know, you put your object in the sling and, um, the weight is raised off the ground, you release it and it, the weight drops and it, you know, throws it ideally. We does, never could get it to work quite right, but <laughs> does the, does the weight, the amount of weight, uh, adjust for the distance it shoots? Um, yeah, we, we kind of did several things. Um, we had adjustment or like try to adjust the pivot point on the arm. So obviously if you, you know, move it closer to one end, you're going to get a lot more force, you know, reaction force on the other side of it. And, uh, yeah, so we tried different weights. We tried different distances of having the weight from the pivot point, different things. And, um, I think eventually we kind of, kind of gave up on it because after so many iterations, there's too many nail holes and screw holes in the wood that we were using that it, right. it just kind of died. <laughs> and then what are you going to do with it once it's done? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was just kind of cool to build, I guess. So you're in school for mechanical engineering. At what point do you do you decide I'm going to build a grinder? Um, that was several job changes after uh, school. So actually, my uh, in school, I wanted to go ahead and be like, all right, yeah, I want to go work for Honda. You know, car manufacturer, NASA. That would be really cool. Um, and then I ended up landed at like an oil field company and machine shop and a couple other places. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until, um, say like 2017. So four years after school, um, that I really was like, yeah, I really like this. Well, I got, I bought a grinder. Um, it was like a Delta one by 42. It was so bad that right. I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to figure this out. I got to do something because I couldn't afford again, a two by 72. And so I was like, that's what, that was kind of the turning point, the frustration of the fact that, you push against the platen and the whole thing flexes backwards and you could twist the base and pop the belt off. It was, it was really bad. Um, very unreliable. So it was very hard to make a knife on. Um, and that kind of out of necessity, I was like, all right, let's figure this out. I worked at a, uh, um, a shop at the time that cut like heavy metal. Um, so they, and they had a laser, so that kind of made it real easy. So I just had them laser everything out. Um, then I went home and welded everything together, tapped all the holes, all that stuff. Do you think that, I mean, in the construction of it all, how are you, because, uh, you know, those small grinders that you get at like a big box store, you know, you don't necessarily, you would have, you know, three or four wheels and stuff. How are you kind of figuring out how you're going to, how is yours going to be different from the one that you had? Uh, so I kind of uh, just started looking at other designs uh, to begin with, and it seemed like most people uh, with a flat plat and they had a four wheel setup. Uh, they had a, a motor with a drive wheel on it, um, some sort of tracking wheel and then the two, uh, wheels on the platen. So that's kind of where I, I started all just kind of looking and see what everybody else had. Um, and then, you know, looking and seeing things that, you know, from what I knew, which was very little at the time, I was a very inexperienced knife maker. Um, but yeah, I mean, just trying to make improvements on what they had, like, oh, wow, that looks really hard to manufacture. Maybe we'll, you know, make it this way. So it's easier, you know, easier to manufacture or, you know, faster to put together, different things like that. I would think that, you know, it, the, I always think that the journey is far more interesting than the destination. And it seemed as though that the destination for you at the time was to make knives. But finding this kind of, let's build a grinder to, in order to make knives, 
that journey was far more like satis- satisfying to you. Yeah, it was more of a like, well, I'm not not a great knife maker yet, so I was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to make a living selling my knives. So, I mean, I'm not even, you know, able to pay for my blacksmithing equipment at this point, you know, with selling my knives. So, I was like, well, you know, the the first grinder went together, you know, fairly easy. I mean, you know, no major changes really. And uh, so I was like, you know, maybe I can, you know, buy a bigger anvil, maybe one day get a power hammer, you know, so on, you know, sell, you know, handful of grinders. And that's kind of where I kind of looked at my, you know, research and I was like, well, I don't see anybody that makes a, you know, kit grinder out there right now, you know, I, and my original idea was a weld together to grinder very uh, similar to Brian House um, and how he uh, how he has, has it set up now. And uh, so I got into it and started marketing and found out a lot of people didn't really know how to weld at first. So then I, that's when I kind of decided to make the bolt together kit, supply everything, you know, have it 100% ready to go. You just got to put it together and paint it. Saved a lot on shipping and, and you know, scratch paint and all that fun stuff. And labor. Yep. All right, now, Vince Molina. Yes, sir. Vince Molina, he comes in. He's a young man. You're, you're, you're. you're I don't. I assume that. You, I, I don't. Are you from? Are you from Maryland? Um. So I was originally born in El Salvador. Came okay. here when I was 11 years old, and I've pretty much lived in Maryland since. Was it a hard transition? I mean, eleven is pretty formative. You kind of have, yeah, just, you have very close memories to that. Was that? Was that? A, was that? How was that transition to Maryland? Um, it's tough. I mean, there's not two ways around it. I came here under political asylum. Actually, huh. uh, my family was persecuted in El Salvador, and um, you know, I lived through a lot over there, seen a lot of ugly that no 11 year old should see and um you know even though it was it was hard to make the transition into um you know different country different culture different language um it was definitely a lot better than being in the middle of crossfire and having a gun to your head when you're 11 you know i so you're i would assume you're in your late 30s i'm 45 man 45. All right. So I remember, I remember those back in the eighties, back in the eighties, what was going on in El Salvador. And it was just like, it was the top of the, the news items. Um, so I definitely remember how tough it must, I I can't even imagine how tough it was, but I'm going to imagine that coming to the United States was really quite a blessing. Sure. No, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, it, it, it really gives you, it's all about perspective, right? Um, Life in the United States is tough by relative terms, but um, when you compare it to what other people have to endure elsewhere, um, dude, we truly live in the best country in the world, and we really are blessed to do that. Yeah. So you're growing up, you're trying to, you know, you're, the, the, the difference between El Salvador to Maryland is is huge. At what point are you making things as a young boy, or I mean, I I would imagine that as soon as you move to the United States, it's kind of like it's not white picket fences right out the chute, you know, in a big house with a with a garage. And how are you starting to get involved with kind of making things with your hands? Well, 
So I was really broke. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've slept on the floor. I've cleaned toilets for a living. You know, I mean, I started with zero. Um, so when you're broke you, you, and, and you have good taste for things, um, you kind of have to figure out how to do it, how to, how to build your own. Like I remember um, being in ninth grade and I built my own computer and I built a tower out of plexiglass because I wanted to see the drives turn and all of that. Had I patented that idea, you know, back in the mid-90s, I would be a multi-billionaire because... You wouldn't be sitting here. Nope, because right around, you know, the early 2000s, that's where the whole clear case uh, craze came about, you know. So, um, you know, I, I love playing guitars. So I actually built my own, so... I, I always liked working with my hands. My grandfather used to be an engineer, but the old school engineers that used to work in boiler rooms, and I used to carry his little tool bag. You know, that was my job in the summers over there. And um, so I grew up around tools and, and building stuff. And my grandfather used to not get too mad at me for getting into all his tools and making a mess out of them. So I was always making things, um, you know, that was kind of natural to me, um, you know, especially in a third world country where you have to do more with less, right. um, you know, so you kind of have to figure things out. There's something to be said about that, the the idea of kind of working, and, and that's also kind of a blacksmithing thing too, where the idea that maybe you don't have the tool that you need, so you make it, you know, there is something very... Uh, satisfying about being able to problem solve is really what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a certain resourcefulness that definitely comes with it. That's the things that you don't have that you don't need. You don't realize you need them until you, I like, I like, by the way, I have to go back to what you said when you're broke and you have good taste, you have to, you have to do whatever it takes. I think that that's a very, I think it's a very profound thing to say. It's like, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, you want certain things and you don't have any money. You got to figure out how to get it. Yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up in knife making to begin with. Um, I don't know if you want to go there now or... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so, um, you know, it was about 2013, I guess. Um, you know, I've been doing this about nine years now. And, um, uh, you know, I, I started in, in engineering. I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. Um, all my education has been in business. Um, and I didn't go back to school until I was in my 30s. Um, but I started in engineering counting screws in a warehouse as a co-op, um, you know, while I was going to school uh, for electrical engineering at the time. So, uh, but I held every job, you know, I, I started there and then I started working in a, a prototyping shop and in the prototyping shop, I was working in electronics and mechanical stuff, so I kind of knew how to use a lot of the tools. And like Ryan, I was looking at some custom knives I fish and I hunt, and I wanted a custom set of hunting knives. And I was like, eh, you know, 300 bucks, I mean, that was a lot of money. So I'm like, well, you know, I kind of know how to use the tools. It's just going to be a little different application, so let me just... Go ahead and give it a shot. So I, I bought the ugliest Damascus knife I could buy on eBay for like 15 bucks. Nobody wanted it. So 
Right. It was that ugly. Um, so then I just kind of reprofiled that and kind of put handles. I didn't know how to heat treat or do anything. So it was nice to start with a hardened piece of steel. And I made those knives. And, um, you know, I showed it to one of my now best friends. And he was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to get married in like three weeks. I had just met him probably a month ahead of time. And um, he was like, can, can you make a knife for my best man? I've been trying to figure out what to give him. And I mean, I didn't have no waiting list or anything. So I was like, sure. You know, so I, I made him a knife and he posted it on Facebook. And, you know, people saw it, reached out to me and asked me to make him a knife. And long story short, been making knives ever since. So where does the name Dreamer Forge Knives come from? That's your that's the name of your business. I mean, I have an idea, but I want to hear it from you. Yeah, that's a cool that's a cool story. So I was working for a company that does design by contract, and they also do production in China. And um, at the time, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with the CEO back then. And um, he was like, you know, what do you really, really want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I would love to just make knives. I really enjoy that. And I love, you know, to be able to make a living, you know, from from making knives. And in a very, very degrading way, he was like, to you're dreaming. You're never <sighs> going to be able to do that. Um so I, I kind of decided to call my Forge Dreamer Forge, just in a way kind of sticking it to him and also just because, um, you know, I wanted to pursue that dream. And, um, you know, so it just kind of kind of stuck. And, you know, I just passed my performance test for my JS stamp. So, and even though, you know, I don't, make my living exactly from making knives, although I still do make quite a few. Um, the knife making industry is, is what I make my living with and, you know, just living the dream, man. Why do you think, why do you think people are so quick to dismiss the ideas that people want to pursue? What do you think that comes from? I, I think... A lot of it branches off. This is just my opinion, right? Yeah, but that's what I want. I want your opinion. I don't know. Many people hate their life, or or you know, just do a job because it provides, or you know. And when they hear that somebody's trying to pursue a dream or or something that's going to bring enjoyment or um, gain, getting to do what they love, I I, I just think that generates that knee-jerk reaction of saying, ah, you won't be able to do it, and mainly because they can't do it or they yeah. haven't been able to do it. Um, so I think it's kind of a knee-jerk type of reaction, you know, that if I can't do it, especially in his case where he's a you know, millionaire CEO, um, you know, if I can't do what I love then, and, and as smart as I am, why would he? You know what I mean? There's something so, when you said something so dismissive about it, and it reminds me, 
I was at a, a, a charity event that I'm actually going to go back to tomorrow, and I met a guy at this event a couple years ago, and we were talking about knife making, and he said to me, how much does it cost to make a knife? And then I, he just, he was a business guy, and he just rattled off, this was a number of years ago, four or five years ago, and he just rattled off, how much does it cost to make a knife? How, how long does it take you to make the knife? What's the material cost to making a knife? And he's just like started doing the calculations and just kind of like hitting it off, and he goes, you might as well be a babysitter. Why do you do this? We might as well be a babysitter. And he walked away, and I said, I said to his, his son, who was there, I said, I'm about to throw your dad in the Hudson River. <laughs> I, I'm, like, I'm like, your dad's about to take a fucking very cold bath in the Hudson River because it's like, you kind of have to, yeah, it's so dismissive when people talk to you in that manner. And I find it fascinating because I just assumed Dreamer Forge was like the positive, like, I am a dreamer, and that's just the way it is. But like, the fact that that guy said to you, you can't do this, has got to be very... It's got to be very satisfying that you're you're allowing this dream to come true. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean that uh, that 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 Aerosmith song, you know, "Dream On Until the Dream right. Comes True." You know that that's kind of been my motto. I mean, but I, I like to dream with my feet on the ground. If that makes any sense, it's hard. Um, you know, I want to dream about it, but I want to do something about it. Because if you just leave it as a dream, it stays a dream. Um, you want to dream and then put every essence of yourself to go make it a reality. And that's just kind of how I... I'm, I'm kind of one of those all or nothing type of guys, you know? Right. Um, I'm, I'm cautious in what I get into, but once I'm in it, I'm 100% in it, you know? I was just listening to an interview. Uh, Howard Stern had Bruce Springsteen on this morning, and it was amazing. It was an amazing interview, and Bruce Springsteen was fantastic, and it was just a very good interview, and it was really exciting to listen to. And one thing that Bruce Springsteen said was how hard it was to imagine. He, he said, I'm, at one point, I'm, I'm on stage with George Harrison and, and, and uh, Paul McCartney, and I've learned music by listening to the Beatles and I'm thinking to myself of all the people who picked up a guitar when they started listening to the Beatles and how many of them learned the guitar and then whittle it down to how many actually started to make music and then whittle it down to how many actually got a record contract and then whittle it down to how many how many it's just like this whittling of down of dreams in order to for for he's like I'm the only one out of all that group I'm the one sitting here on stage with the Beatles and how hard it is to there's a lot of luck involved there's a lot of hard work but at the same time it's like it's the complete desire right yeah i mean you know ryan and i you know look at each other sometimes and we're like dude this is nuts because i mean the guys that we looked up to um you know when we were first getting started and, and we still look up to you know i mean the um you know, Jay Nielsen, Morocco, um, I mean, all these, you know, Jason Knight, all these big time makers, you know, you watched our, you know, Fortune Fire happen after uh, I started making knives, but then all those guys showed up on TV and, you know, and the fact that we now have them on our phones and we get to chat with them, you know, uh, once a month or so, we you know we'll just chat, see how everybody's doing, and you know get a phone call from some of these guys. Uh, you know, it's 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 the dream, dude. I mean, honestly, it, it, it's it's kind of it's pretty amazing 
how how things have come. I mean, taking our our grinders to the set of Forging Fire, where it all kind of started, and coming full circle, you know, for for Ryan and I, it's 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 pretty amazing, man. Ryan, yeah, you've made the decision. I'm going to make this grinder, and then how many times? I, at what point after you make your first grinder do you think to yourself, okay, maybe I can sell these? The first one. Oh, really? Right off the bat? Yeah. And, and then did you have, <laughs> and it worked, and you figured out the tracking, and you figured out all the ins and outs? Yeah, I mean, I had it working, working well. Um, and then, yeah, kind of when I uh, switched gears from the welded to the bolted together design, um, that's actually, I got that design finished, I got it cut, I got it put together, Threw the video up on Instagram, and that's when I got the phone call to go on Forge and Fire. Really? Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. And and I don't think it was because I posted the video or anything like that. It was just kind of like perfect timing. Um, and they were like, hey, we're going to you know put your name on this list. We'll call you you know when we're ready for you kind of thing. And how, I was many like, knives, and, and, how many knives have you made at this point? Um, Be honest. Like 30. Oh, good. Okay. All right. I thought you were going to say like two. No, no. I mean, Paul Pinto made two before he got on <laughs> two or three before he got on Forge of Fire. Yeah, well, and they even had me, like, hammer out, I think it was, like, a 19-inch, you know, machete to make sure that I had the capabilities to do so and everything And uh, before I actually got accepted on the show. But, I mean, they called me in, I think it was, like, February, March, and they're like, okay, you'll be on the show sometime in the next nine months. We'll give you a phone call. And I'm like, cool, I got some time. Well, I mean, I had like a month and a half, and then they were like, hey, you want to go on the show? And I was like, oh, man. And it was like 10 days notice, and I was like, I don't know. I have to talk to work and, you know, get this figured out. It just seems like it's going to be way too much right now. I got kids in sports, all this stuff. And then I sat there and thought about it for a minute. I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to get this opportunity again, or I may not. So I'm just, I'm going for it. Like, that's just, I mean... If I'm ready or not, you know, I'm going anyways. If anything, you know, hey, maybe I can show a few people my grinder and they might like it. I might be able to sell a couple. So at this point, were you thinking to yourself, I, you'd already made the decision that you were going to be a grinder ma- maker? Or when yeah. you pose this to your wife or you pose this to your friends and you thought, maybe I could make a go at this. Had you already made the decision that this is the next step for me? Oh, oh, no, no. It was like, hey, you know, I'm going to sell a few and cool, maybe I can buy a power hammer. It was by no means a, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my, you know, or, or right. you know, as a career, you know, to, to pay, you know, to pay my bills. And yeah, and that's, and most people know, but you know, that I go, you know, we go on the show and, you know, I'm hanging out with the three other guys and I'm like, hey guys, I have this grinder, you know, that I just made, you know, are you guys interested? And we were all at dinner and they were like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. And, you know, I talked to them about it a little bit and that was kind of the end of it. And the next night, you know, day we film, you know, go through some things and then, you know, we're back at the hotel afterwards and, you know, Vince asked me, he's like, hey man, you you want to have a drink? And I was like, sure. Boy, that was an expensive shot of Woodford Reserve, by the way. So, so, so you get on there and in your mind, you're thinking not only just nervous, but maybe I can, if I don't win this thing, maybe I can sell a grinder or two to the contestants. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, let's make it worth a while. You know, throw it up there and see if it sticks. Right. So, so, so Vince, at what point when you meet Ryan, do you think this is interesting? So 
Oh, Pete, wait, so let's back up. Vince, how did you get the call to be on Forge and Fire? And you guys didn't know each other before Forge and Fire. No, not at all. Uh, no, so, so I basically, you know, I, I was making a good bit of knives. When I, when I went on Forge and Fire, I was probably making about 80 knives a year and still working full time. And, um, you know, my wife was starting to look at me like, dude, you got to pick one because um, we never see you. And um, my accountant was looking at me going, um, you're making about 40 grand a year in knives. That's no longer a hobby. Um, right. You know, um, so I was kind of in that point where I was starting to make plans on how to go do the knives full time. And uh, one of the recruiters, you know, from Forging Fire kind of came across my profile on Instagram and they sent me an email and, um, or they sent me a, you know, DM or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm very skeptic about that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, next thing you know, they're going to ask me for my social security number and my driver's license. Right. So I, I, if you wire them ten thousand, they'll send you a hundred back. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's the El Salvador mentality. You don't trust. You don't no, trust guys no. who hell give you these no. opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I, I literally let it sit in my inbox for like two weeks, and then I was having a, some drinks with my best friend, the same guy that you know bought my first knife, and uh, you know we were just having some drinks had a few too many and then uh, he was like you know i told him about it and he was like dude you gotta at least reply back so you know the liquid courage you know kind of started working so i was like all right you know what the hell so i sent him a uh, a reply back and okay, then the, the next year you know they reply again and you know the next day and we're just kind of going back and forth and there's quite a few guys here in Maryland that have been, that had been on the show that, that I kind of knew. And I asked them what, you know, what, what's the next step going to be after this? And they told me, well, this is what's going to happen. I was still testing people to make sure that nobody was pulling my leg, you know? And, uh, sure enough, all the steps continue to follow. And that's how I ended up on, uh, on Forge and Fire. So you meet Ryan on the set He's he's pitching all you guys, thinking, all right, at the very least, maybe I can move a grinder. What do you think about what he says? I make I'm Ryan Broadbeck. I make these grinders. What what was your initial opinion? I thought that was cool because I was looking to get into the grinder business as well because I wasn't happy with the grinder I had, um, and uh, I had purchased a two by seventy two, you know, grinder. I'm not gonna. Say oh, who she was, right. but you know, um, and you know, I just wasn't happy with it. I there was a lot of issues that I could see in in how it was limiting me from making you know the knives that I wanted and movements that I wanted. So I had all this like a list, like a product requirement list, trying to figure out you know I'm going to change this and I'd like to change that and I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. But be it that my schooling is in business. I went the other way. I did a business analysis and looked at the business side of things. Um, I'm a numbers guy. So I, I looked at all the numbers to make sure that it was going to be a profitable, um, you know, 
venture because otherwise, I mean, it wasn't worth my time. And I had a business model and I had a marketing strategy on how to penetrate it because at the time the market was already saturated. So I kind of had that all put together and then it was going to take me probably 18 months to two years to do my design. And then I meet this, you know, Viking looking dude that's got this design already kind of done. So I start questioning him a little bit on the business side and kind of realized that he had no business strategy. So I kind of pitched him. I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground on that one. (laughs) So I kind of pitched him, you know, why don't we like join forces? And, you know, he needed to cut more prototypes and, you know, needed a little bit more money. And I had the money and the business strategy. So we kind of decided to join forces and give it a try. Now, did you make that decision after they filmed or in the yeah. middle of it? Were you guys doing this business deal before they even started filming? Well, so we, we had filmed, um, the first day and that, and then he kind of pitched the idea to me and he's like, I don't need an answer right now. He's like, I don't, you know, he's like, I don't even an ans- need an answer in a couple of days. He's like, you know, I just want you to send me a grinder and I can help you go through it and, you know, we can look at the design and make sure it's solid and then, you know, kind of decide from there. Um, so yeah, we actually didn't, didn't finalize everything until about a month after we filmed or about two months after we filmed. Um, I went up to his house. Don't you think it's crazy that the both of you were mechanical engineers and you both were into knife making and you just happened to meet on Forge and Fire with kind of like similar paths? Like, it's kind of, it's, I mean, I don't want to say kismet, but I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's like there's a degree of destiny there. It's like this wild connection that threw you together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to explain. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, call it, you know, faith or you know, your fate or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's. Uh, one interesting thing that I found in in life in general is that you know kind of people come and go into your life at pivotal moments, and um, you know this was certainly one for us. I mean, neither of us would be doing what we're doing now, um, you know, without that, without meeting that one day, you know. I talked to friends of mine who are knife makers, and they have gotten uh, opportunities to have a, a business partner and investor. Like I have a business partner who was a we used to work together in the restaurant business. He he's not a knife maker, and I'm grateful that he's not a knife maker because I feel like I need outside eyes, you know. And I think that there's a lot of people who get involved with business partners or get involved with investors, and there's this feeling of like, well, they don't really know what I'm doing, and there's good and bad in that, and you have this kind of you have these different. Everyone's got a different position and stuff like that. I think it's fascinating that that you both came from the knife making standpoint, but you're able to have both have this, you know, very distinct voices in this business. Like, it's just very, it seems like it fits for every, it's, it's just a perfect fit. Oh yeah. I would definitely agree. I mean, with, um, I mean, Vince's background, um, you know, especially with, you know, with the business and marketing, um, you know, that he really has, you know, a good handle on that stuff. And I've 
been fortunate to learn a lot from him uh, from that aspect. And um, and then my background uh, as far as schooling and, and career wise goes very different than Vince's because um, I I worked a lot and more um, on the manufacturing side of things um, than I did in design. Um, but I I did bounce back and forth, um, so I was like really nice because I could be like okay, you know. Not only can I design it, I know how to make it as well, which in turn makes it a lot easier to design. You know, they, they work hand in hand very well. Um, and so seeing, you know, when working in, you know, different corporations and things like that, you know, it, it definitely uh, gave me a, a, a well-rounded background um, from the design and engineering standpoint. And Vince has that, you know, on top of the business. In it. And I think that's what really, like, kind of helps us work together is because, you know, we both ask each other questions that are relevant to what each, you know, the other one is doing. You know, we're not lost by any means, but at the same time, we're, you know, we trust each other in the fact that, like, one of us, is, you know, may have more expertise on something than, you know, the other one. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of checking your feelings at the door. Um, you know, we're, we both have a very profound respect for the other. Um, I mean, I've been designing stuff for a long time. I mean, I've been designing um, uh, consumer goods for almost 25 years. And, uh, I mean, I've designed stuff for Apple, all the security systems at the Apple store I've designed. Um, you know, I've designed a lot of crazy stuff. What's the craziest thing you've designed? Uh, back in the late 90s, we did a whole system that used to send telecommunication signals through the power lines. It was high-speed internet through the electrical lines. Wow. And it was really cool because those, light, those lines are energized at either 15,000 or 25,000 volts. So you have to be able to inject a high-speed signal without touching the wire. And designing how, how, that stuff was really cool. How would you? So you're design. How does that work? And then what do you do? You how do you? What are you plugging into? So you basically design either a capacitor or an inductor, and you basically are injecting the signal into one side of the inductor, and then it inductively couples to the wire, and then you use. Um, ferrite chokes to send the signal in one direction or the other so that was really cool man that was probably one of the most funnest things i ever did um they actually did a huge deployment in in rochester new york um so it was really 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 cool man and um you used to be able to we were also able to look at all the components on the power lines, like all the transformers, and we could tell you when the transformer was going to fail before it failed. Huh. So it was really cool, man. So that was probably one of the wildest things. See, when you said wild, I was expecting you to say, we, you know, we figured out this new type of, like, back scratcher. Soap on a rope situation. I was, like, hoping for, like, something that, you know, that made-on-TV thing, easier way to eat corn on the cob or something like that. I was kind of not expecting something to be so, uh, you know, Tesla-style. Yeah, man. You know? That was cutting-edge stuff. I mean, I think we were sending, like, three gigabytes through the, through the wire and, you know, for, you know, for telecommunications at that speed, uh, people used to think that you had to have a coaxial wire, you know, like the stuff that comes in for your TV and stuff. 
Right. Right. And the fact that we were gonna we were able to do it with an unshielded wire like that, it was just cutting edge technology. Huh. huh. Jeez. All right. So forging fires over. I don't remember. I'm not. We're not going to say what happened. We're not going to. We're going to. If you guys look and find out that which which do you know which season and episode it is, so the listeners can find yeah, out. Yeah, it's uh, season seven, episode three. Uh, it's called the Jian Sword. And just for the listener, this is the this is the the birthplace of Broadback Ironworks. So that's the reason to watch it, not just because to see who won. So the sh- <laughs> show finishes. Ryan comes home. I met you, sitting your wife. I met this guy who is, is absolutely bad shit crazy. Ryan, at what point do you think I'm going to give Vince a call and then let's see if we can do something? Um, I essentially could just kind of, you know, talk through it with, um, you know, my wife and, you know, a couple of close friends. I'm like, you know, I, here's what this guy's offering me, you know, as far as, you know, the company goes, I, you know, I definitely need his help and, you know, getting it off the ground and, you know, he's got a great marketing strategy already. And, um, so yeah, and it was kind of just talking through it and I made the decision in my head. I'm like, all right, I'm going to send this guy a grinder or, you know, the only grinder at the time and, uh, have him look at it and, you know, just give him a chance. Why not? And I mean, you know, worst has happened is, you know, I spent a little bit of money, flew up there, didn't work out, flew back home, you know, keep moving on. So, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a huge investment, you know, it's just more time than anything. So I was like, Hey, you know, I can't take any vacation time for this. So it was like, I think I took a like 6am flight on Saturday and I was back home by Sunday night kind of thing. Huh. So I didn't, didn't want to take any time off work either. So, uh, but yeah, and then it was kind of like, uh, you know, once I got up there, you know, Vince picked me up, which, you know, air, airports and me getting there on time is a funny story. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but, yeah, and so... Well, well what's I so guess, funny? <laughs> um, so, a little while after, you know, me and Vince decide to uh, go ahead and join forces, and um, he reaches out to Jay Nielsen and... Jay Nielsen said, you know, he kind of felt bad for us. So, you know, sure, I could use a backup grinder for classes or something. So, you know, I'll talk to him and see, you know, what's going on. And, I mean, this is like a dream come true at this point. I mean, we had just got off the show, you know, a few months earlier. And, you know, we get to go hang out at Jay Nielsen's house. And he's going to look at our grinder. Like, this is going to be amazing. Wait, and, but wait uh, a second. But wait a second. You've ha- you have the grinder. You've given it to Vince. How at what Vince? At what point do you give feedback and figure out what you're going to do before you give the grinder to to Jay? Yeah, so that was like when we went up there. When I was up at Vince's and we decided to join forces, he gave me a lot of really constructive feedback, and uh, we made a couple prototypes and made sure that the machine was how we wanted it before. Obviously, we took it up to Jay's house. I mean, we basically a lot of the notes that I had on things that weren't working with the machines that I had used. You know, I kind of shared those with Ryan, and I'll tell you one thing: um, Ryan has been great from the beginning because nobody likes to be told that their kids are ugly. And um, I'm really good at hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, we he he took the criticism. I mean, he probably you know we redesigned probably 30% of the machine uh, just with input, you know, that, you know, making the platen symmetrical and having access from both sides and, 
you know, little things that make a lot of difference. Because, um, you know, at, at that time I had a lot more experience, you know, working in with knife making and had encountered a lot more issues, um, you know, with machines and, and limiting factors. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I had pretty long list with sketches and identifying everything. Um, so Ryan took that back and started implementing the changes. Now you've already made the decision. I, I assume, I, I don't know, don't know about contracts and stuff like that. You've made a decision to make it. At what point do you make an, a, a grinder and approach Jay Nielsen with it? Cause he was your so, first guy, right? Yeah. So we did, um, the, uh, official paperwork was signed, uh, with me and Vince in July, um, middle of July, 2019. Um, and then we were at Jay's house in September of 2019. So a few months later. Yeah. Wow. We, wow. we launched, we made, uh, our joining forces public on, uh, August 19th was when we, when we kind of announced that in, you know, Chris Cash, was actually the first guy that endorsed us. I mean, we would not be here without that man. Um, you know, he intro- he's the one that um, can evaluated the machine first. And there's a funny story on that, which we'll share later, I'm sure, so that we don't get all over convoluted in here. But, um, yeah, Chris Cash was the first one. I mean, he introduced me to you as well um, under... Uh, life threats for me not to screw his friends so yeah, <laughs> yeah. listen let me let me let's just back it up a hair i've known chris cash for a while chris cash is a great dude but he's also very very to the point like you chris cash is the point because he reached out to me and he says i want to i want to know if you're interested in talking to the guys for broadback and he was very, but at the same time, I know, I know that he was probably like put, held you by your lapels and, and said, "Listen, listen, how this is how things are going to be. Just don't fuck with me, you know." So, so Chris is a more of a black. He's not a knife maker. He will tell you that from the get go. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I approached Chris and I said, "Hey, Chris, you know, we, we're starting this grinder company. Would you?" take one of the machines and check it out, give us feedback. And he's like, why would I want that machine? I have this Frankenstein that I built. The thing was ugly as sin. And um, that was actually pretty good. The beginning was a very good Chris Cash impression. Yeah. Why would I? I That's exactly what he said. Why would I want this? And I I was like, Chris, just, just give it a try. I'll leave it with you for a week. If you decide that he's junk, I'll come pick it up. And he was like, all right. So he keeps it. So I come back a week later. And I wish I still had it because I videoed this. And stupid me deleted the video for some reason. So I come back to pick up the machine. And Chris is, he's just grinding at it. like, And Chris is not gentle by any means. And there's fire going all over the place. And... Chris would just walk up to it, just push on it as hard as he can, and then he would step back and smile, and then just keep, you know, going at it and yeah, yeah leading into it. And I'm just like, you know, just looking at him, you know, and uh, 
once he was at a stopping point, I was like, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm come to pick up the machine. He's like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so he kind of got on board and he used it for a little bit more. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to help you guys get this out there. Uh, but you got to do what I tell you. And you guys need to get into Instagram and social media. And I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends. He was like, now you cannot fuck me over. He's like, I have very few friends. I know a lot of people, but I have very few friends. And the people I'm going to introduce you to are my friends. So do not fuck me over. He's like, are you sure that this is 100% good? And I was like... Yeah, because I truly believe that he was, you know. So, and then, uh, yeah, that kind of went on from there. And Jay Nielsen was moving in parallel with that. Yeah. So, uh, funny thing is, Chris Cash had actually, that was not his first time seeing a Broadbeck grinder. Um, I was at Sofa Quad State the year before in September. And it was the first grinder I had, which I still have, by the way. Um, and the first grinder I ever developed, I mean, the first one put together everything and I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this up to this blacksmithing event, which I had no idea what it was. And so I was like, okay, tailgate sales are on Thursday afternoon. So I took off work, went up there, didn't realize that you could sell all weekend, um, until afterwards. But yeah, like pull in, unload the grinder out of the truck, just kind of hanging out. A couple people are, you know, peeking, looking and, you know, nobody really stops by. And then like this... This guy walks up to me, and he's really interested. He's asking me all kinds of detailed questions about this grinder and how I made it and all this other stuff. And he's like, all right, cool, and then just walks away. And I was like, oh, maybe he's interested. You know, I'll never know. I didn't realize until much long after that that was Chris Cash. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So you've introduced yourself to Chris Cash. Chris Cash is calling all his friends. I know, I know he and Matt Stagmer started using it. And I know that, I mean, obviously I got, you know, he brought me, Chris brought me up my first Broadback. When you, how do you approaching Jay Nielsen? And then how does that go? Because I mean, Jay Nielsen is one is, is a master bladesmith. He's also one of the, he's one of the longest, I would say longest judges on Forge and Fire. He's well-known in the knife-making community and the bladesmithing community. He has a reputation that is like, I'm sure that he's protecting to a certain degree. When you approached Jay Nielsen, what was that like? So Jay Nielsen was interesting because when we were at the show, uh, this is before COVID, so you could shake hands and talk to people, you know? And and Jay was like, hey, you know, if, if I can help you guys in any way, just let me know. Just Just reach out. And a lot of people say that, but don't mean it. Um, Jay's one of those people that when he tells you something, he does mean it. Or otherwise, he doesn't say it, you know? And um, so, you know, Ryan was like, you know, I'm I'm working on a grinder. Maybe you can take a look at it later. We may reach out to you. And he was like, yeah, 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 sure. You know, just so... So, uh, so yeah, so I reached out to him and uh, just sent him a message and be like, hey, you know, we, we were there a couple of months ago. We've made some, you know, we, we, we've, we have some prototypes that we would like for you to take one if you'd like. I mean, we'll give it to you. We just want as much feedback as we can and kind of like, 
you know what Ryan said at that point. He was like, "Yeah, you know, I guess I could use an extra one." And and he was running a grizzly at the time, out of all right, things. Right. Um, so he was like, "Okay." So he invited us to come up, and then we, you know, I'm driving up, and Ryan is booking a flight, and then Ryan can take over the story because that's bringing us full circle to why. <laughs> Ryan flying into airports is a thing between us. Yeah, so I, a little bit of background. I have three children, first of all, that are, take up a lot of my time. And I was kind of beyond the eight ball a little bit, uh, to, you know, getting, you know, graduating college and everything. Because by the time I graduated college, I already had two kids. And uh, uh, one of which was born my senior year of high school, but, uh, so they, they took up a lot of my time, which I then had to, you know, figure out how to basically work, go to school, take care of kids, all that stuff. So going into this, I'm very, very tired altogether. Right. Um, you know, just from years of just constantly doing that and, you know, we're having a side hustle and, and so on. But to be completely honest, the only time I've ever had the clock app not respond on my phone was the morning of my flight to go to Jane Nielsen's house. And that is the most shattering feeling in the world. When you go get to, you know, you're so excited. You're going to meet your idol, you know, you know, one of your idols. And like, he's actually entertaining the idea of this grinder. Like this could be a really big thing. And, you know, as in Vince's words, don't fuck this up. So it was like, (laughs) great. And so, but yeah. And then like, I think my flight, left at like 6.10 in the morning is when it took off. I woke up at like 6.05. And I like spring awake and I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And I look at my phone and it literally, the clock app says not responding. And it was like, oh man, that was in, to this day, Vince still doesn't believe Allegedly, he looked at his phone and the app was not working. (laughs) Needless to say, the app said, it said on the phone, Ryan, the app's not working. Yeah, it literally said not responding. You know, the, and then you get the little pop up that says like you know restart or continue, and yeah, so that was that was devastating. I was freaking out at that point because I'm like, oh my god! And then I call Vince, and he's just like, okay, <laughs> like, and I'm like, I'm trying to find a flight. Let me get this figured out. Thankfully, my wife and I, but you know, she. Helped me find a flight to get up there. I ended up flying up to Scranton, and Vince took a little detour and picked me up. So, but yeah, to, to this day, I know I don't really sleep ever on the night that I have an early flight. Yeah, because it's like that was like I will never miss that flight again. <laughs> Do, no, so, but you were on time to see Jay. Yes. Yeah. We. Yeah. We were a couple hours late, but yeah, we All we right, still made it to his right. house the same day. And then. He'd already had the grinder. He was using the grinder before you met, or you delivered right. the grinder? We, we had the, this the, was the delivery. Yeah, we yeah. had the grinder in our truck. So what did he say? He got it the was... grinder. He's talking to you guys. He remember. I mean, honestly, let's. I mean, let's be clear. If he didn't meet you guys on the set of Forge and Fire, he didn't kind of spend a couple days with you. He probably would. It would have been one of them unanswered DMs where he's just like, "I'm starting this grinder business. You want to talk about it?" I mean, he he met you and knew you through that show. Well, here's an interesting thing. I had talked to Jay before because so Jay was one of the few guys. Him and Salem Straub, I, I remember always in that um you know when i had my 150 followers on instagram and i was you know just nobody you know he 
I remember sending them DMs and they both actually replied to me, even though they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And they helped me. I think Salem at one point even jumped on a phone call with me way back in the, you know, way, way, way back. I mean, Broadbeck wasn't even a thought. So, so Jay will do that. You know, Jay will, you know, reply to, to messages. Um, yeah, I had a similar experience the week before we went on the show. Um, I was trying to figure out how to do canister Damascus and I was actually, yeah, DM and Jay, the week before the sh- we actually went to Phil, <laughs> trying to figure it out. So yeah, he's he's awesome for that. There there are a lot of master bladesmiths who are extraordinarily generous, and I know for a fact. I mean, Steve Schwarzer. I've been on the phone with him a few times, and didn't really have to take my call. Mike Quisenberry, f- funny enough, Mike Quisenberry listened to Knife Talk, and then he called me up to talk about Knife Talk, and then he wanted a recipe. He asked me, I need a recipe for my wife. I need to make something that my wife's going to like. I gave him a recipe, and it was like, he couldn't have been nice. I mean, he couldn't have been nicer. Same thing, oh, Will, uh, Aaron Wilburn. There's a lot of master bladesmiths out there who are, have embraced social media because I've, it seems as though that they have, that it, there's a newer generation of master bladesmiths who were there before in knife making, before social media, and have realized how great of a community is, and they're very, very helpful. I mean, Lynn Ray has been like that as well Lynn for Ray. us. Lynn Ray, and another, he, another one. He, he just got one of our grinders too, by the way, which is awesome, having him as you know be part of the Broadbeck family, man. He's, he's just an amazing, honest, to God, good man. He really is just awesome. Great, Great guy. Lynn Ray. Oh, yeah. And not to mention, I mean, as far as innovative innovation, I mean, he's one of the, he's an innovator uh, for taking the classic blacksmithing style and, you know, and transferring it into bladesmithing. So oh, yeah. I would imagine Jay Nielsen's looking at the grinder. He's giving it a go. I mean, obviously it's quite a step up from a grizzly and he's, at what point are, are, is someone saying to you, how does Broadback Ironworks separate itself out from the other grinder companies? So the interesting thing with Jay was, Jay, he's set up in his shop. He's got this square table in the middle of the shop, and he had four grinders around it. He had a dedicated horizontal. He had a belt-driven 2 by 72 and then he had two Grizzlies. And what happened was once we put the Broadbeck on there, he realized that that single machine eliminated all the other grinders on that table. And that was an eye-opening moment for him. And um, it was also a lot smoother than the other machines. He could vary the speed without changing belts. And he had the small wheel attachment and he could turn it horizontal and and that was kind of the aha moment for for Jay when he realized the potential of the machine and the fact that he was all toolless and he never needed a tool to adjust it and all of that just kind of it kind of hit him all at once and that was that was the moment where he kind of you know came on board he realized that you know this was going to be not a machine that he was taking because he felt sorry about us, but it was going to be a machine that was going to change the way he did his work. You, no one's going to, I mean, at his level, he, he's not going to do anything because he feels sorry for you. I mean, because especially if he's putting his neck out there, I mean, nobody 
puts their neck out for someone because they feel sorry for him. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, he was that was the aha moment, you know, for him. I mean, I think he he legitimately wanted. He thought he was just going to give us some feedback, and then once he saw what the machine could do, he was like, "This is going to revolutionize." you know, the way that people use these machines. I mean, we had all these attachments that could, you know, basically make the machine into a complete knife maker shop in a single station, Um, you know, which, again, you know, now you don't need a, a big space. And so he realized the value of all of that, you know, once he got his hands on it. And he figured that's something that would be good, not just for him, but for the community as a whole. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I, you know, we've been doing, we've been talking about Broadback on Knife Talk for, for quite a while, and, and I've been using it a lot. And I wonder about, I always got, I got nervous. Uh, I don't remember when it was. I was, I, I made a joke and I referred to it very flippantly as all these grinder companies is grinder wars. It's going to be grinder wars. I said grinder wars a few times because I thought I'm worried about guys who are coming up with grinder companies and how they're going to, because I mean, if you look at your customer base, your customer base is going to not get five grinders. So you're probably, I mean, obviously you're going to get a shop, maybe a shop or a school that's going to want a few. But like, how do you address, you know, you have this, is there a saturated market? And I, and I think to myself and I wonder how you guys have separated yourself out from other companies. I would say like one of the, the biggest things that we've worked for is just making sure that we offer you know, as much as we can, you know, for the money, we're not, you know, saying, well, you you buy this attachment, you know, well, you got to buy, you know, every, you know, wheel that goes with it or, you know, everything like that. We really were just like, all right, if you buy it, you get the whole thing. Um, that was kind of like one of our strategies because that we noticed from the beginning. Um, and also, yeah, to just come going back to the functionality part of it, it's like we really need to make sure that we can do more than everybody else for, you know, the same amount of money. And, you know, then people, you know, really see, okay, yeah, I do need these features or I could use these features and I don't have to pay extra for them. Yeah, for, for me, you know, it's when when I was making knives before Broadback, my shop was an 8 by 10 shed. And I got to the point where... Uh, I couldn't make a better knife because I just didn't have the tools and I didn't have the space to put bigger tools. I had one extension cord being ran in there. And part of the thought was, you know, if we can make a tool that can become a disc sander so you can true up all your handles and your and your scales and have your fitment be perfect. You know, if I could make this machine be a buffer, you know, and like vary the speed so that you don't burn up the wood or whatever, you know, and if we can have this machine be a grinder and have this machine be an edger and have this machine be um, a spindle sander and have this machine be all these things that fit in a, like a two by two by three footprint, you know, that where I can put this in a corner of my garage where I can put this in the, you know, equipment shed, um, you know, and that's the way we went. And, and I think that's what has set us apart. And, you know, most of our sales are repeat sales because people will buy the base and then they come back and they'll buy a surface grinder or they buy this attachment and the other attachment. 
Um, you know, the same thing with our belts. You know, we, we sell a full line of belts and we spend about six months testing different belts to bring belts to the market that weren't there before that can, you know, help people do their work better. So our our the key thing for us has been just adding value, not just taking people's money and and for for just the sake of it we want to add value to the customer we are makers ourselves and we understand how important it is to deliver that value and that's what makes us different i think that that's one of the things that's been that's been fascinating and i can tell that there are you know you figured out ways in which to kind of make it more value in terms of like you there are that you have the opportunity to it's a kit you know you could put it together yourself which saves you guys the labor saves on the shipping and it gives people you know the people who are have a shop and they're making stuff can bolt together a grinder i mean it's not you know it's not impossible and the fact that you you know cut away the painting well in the beginning cut away the painting to kind of cut down the cost too i think that there's there's something to be very kind of that 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 give and take to in order to kind of create something that you can hand over to people. Well, yeah, and I mean one of the the biggest things um, you know going with the unpainted disassembled you know model is like you know as a beginner myself you know somebody just starting out you can't afford a lot that that was kind of what I was going after. It's like okay, I'm more than happy to paint something and put it together if it means I'm going to save, you know, hundreds of dollars on this thing. I mean, it's just, as a beginner, you don't have, you know, resources and, you know, sales coming in to, you know, be able to to buy all the nice equipment. And yeah, and that was like really kind of what pushed me to be like, okay, yeah, I know plenty of people, you know, if they're finishing knives, they should be able to, you know, put it together, no problem and paint it if they want to. There's a lot of people that don't paint them too. So yeah, I didn't paint mine. <laughs> to be honest, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't do any. I don't. I'm very bad about everything. You know, like I'm really. You know, I mean, I'm terrible with everything. But so you're all squared away. Jay Nielsen starts posting about you. I know that Chris was posting about you guys, and I know that I was as soon as I got mine. Chris brought it up, and we put it together, and I was using it, and I was very impressed by it. What is the response? The initial response from the public? I mean, what are people saying? Well, I mean, we started to get, you know, more people reaching out on social media. And, you know, at the time I was spending a tremendous amount of time on the phone just letting people know. Because, I mean, we're we're new. There are no machines out there. Um, you know, but fairly quickly, um, you know, we we managed to sell the first uh, the first five prototypes that we made. And, um, you know, and then those people started posting about it. Um, Because, again, it was very new. It was very different than everything else that was out there. So people were excited about it. And and they still are. I mean, most of the posts that you see are from customers, you know, that, I mean, we don't pay anybody. We don't uh, have people... Uh, you know, our, our pros, you know, pay for their machines. Um, you know, uh, we don't just send free machines to people so they will promote. We, we believe that they, 
they, they need to promote because they believe in the product. Um, so it's it's it started taking off pretty quickly um, yep, once yep. people started seeing it on, on social media and seeing people work on the machine. Um, you know, we did the first five, then we did another set of five. We financed it with PayPal credit. And after we sold the first two, it was we did a first set of 10. And I think we did two sets of 10. Then we did a set of 25. And then Ryan called me one night. He's like, ah, dude, I'm quitting my job because I'm 80 grinders in the hole right now. And there is just no way that I'm going to be able to ship this out of my garage. Wait a second. Wait a second. So you were making a kind of piecemeal and then people were pre-ordering them? Uh, yeah. So we the way we work it is we'll, we'll make, you know, uh, we were making like five kits. Okay. You know, okay. Pay them up front, have them in Ryan's garage. And as the orders came in, we would ship them out. And once you get down to one or two grinders, we would order another five kits um, to get laser cut and buy the wheels and all of that and um and yeah that's that's kind of i mean to this day that's still the model that we follow and how i mean just out of curiosity how much has the cnc laser jet business changed manufacturing because i mean if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the fact that you can get these your parts laser jet cut out of a certain thickness I mean, you couldn't be able to do this. Right. I mean, well, grinders would be, I mean, probably three times the cost because then you'd be doing all that on, you know, a machining center at that point. Um, and, you know, which is a lot higher hourly rate, you know, because it's a lot a lot more precise, things like that. And, yeah, if yeah, if it wasn't for, you know, laser cutting, water jetting, all you know, all the CNC, you know, flat work basically – um, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't have cheap grinders. That's for sure. Or you know, grinders in the price range that we do now. I mean, right. the laser we use cuts parts to plus or minus three thousands. That's the thickness of a human hair. <laughs> so the level of accuracy of the tools that exist today is nothing short of amazing. So Ryan calls up Vince and says, "I got to quit my job because I got to put together 80, 80 grinders, and we just cannot do it in my garage." Yep. What's the next step? Yeah, so that was that was interesting because that was uh, right during COVID too. So I mean, it was you know that was kind of hit March 2020 um, in our area, and it was like everything was shutting down. I was working from home, you know, trying to get things done here and there. The kids are at home; they're you know having to be homeschooled on top of trying to you know work a day job plus Broadbeck and. I was to the point where I, my wife was just like, you got to pick. You can either, you know, stay with the job you're at or go with Broadbeck. Like, we'll have to figure out the insurance and all that stuff, but let's go from there. And so, I mean, it was an easy decision. That's why I, you know, called Vince and I'm like, hey, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I think our wives are constantly giving us ultimatums because uh, we like to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's you know what? There's something to be said about the fact that they didn't say you got to cut out the the grinder company, and then they they stood behind your decision. Oh yeah, yeah, and and my wife and, and I and we're both very supportive of each other. Um, and so I started Broadbeck at the same time she started her uh, PhD program. 
Um, so that was kind of a, and we obviously never expected it to explode as fast as it did. So she's still working on that. And, um, you know, we support each other and, you know, both of, you know, and what we like to do, you know, as our careers, uh, which, you know, makes it very, very helpful. So you both quit your jobs, which is a terrifying concept because, you know, obviously oh gosh, I was shaking. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I quit my job about another, what, probably six months after you, probably not that yeah, much. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was less than, than yeah, six, yeah, six months, months after, after that, that, really. Yeah, I was kind of having the same thing, um, you know, now something was, it, it's a little bit, it was a little bit different for me, um, I, I was a uh, senior engineering manager of uh, worldwide engineering at the company I was in, so I couldn't get the you know, the salary, you know, we couldn't get me the salary that I was making right, know, with right. Broadbeck at the time. So um, when I went to resign, they actually asked me if I would work as a consultant for two days a week, and they gave me a large portion of my pay and benefits. So... Um, that made it a lot easier. Of course, for me and then for Ryan for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I have a pretty rare uh, skill set in that I know how to design things and I know how to design the tools to make those things, which is kind of dead because most of our production in this country, you know, left in the eighties and nineties to Mexico and China. So. Um, so yeah, they, they made me that offer that I couldn't really refuse and, you know, Ryan, uh, talked it over with Ryan and he was okay with me doing that. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it was a lot easier for me, uh, a lot less of a leap of faith, you know, than, um, than it was for Ryan for sure. So now Broadbeck Ironworks is... And Jason Knight's got one, and Salem Straub's got one, and Jay Nielsen's got one, and Lynn Ray's got one. The best of the best got them. How do you get your grinders on as the grinder for Forge and Fire? So that was uh, part of you know the the pros because um, all of the judges on Forge and Fire um, have our grinders that are knife makers anyways. Okay. Um, and so, and, and we even heard it from the tech crew when we dropped the machines off, but I guess as they were having issues with the other ones that were on the set and, you know, things, all of the judges were, you know, dropping hints like, Hey, a Broadbeck wouldn't do that. Maybe we should get Broadbeck's on the set. So, um, they were definitely key, um, to helping us out. And, and it's because they believed in the product. They, you know, they used yeah. them themselves and they were like, yeah, yeah, this is what we need here. Yeah. They, um, it was really interesting because, um, you know, they they called us and when we described how our tensioning system worked and how the machine worked and how the parts that were giving them the most issues just weren't part of our design, they, they, they really got interested there. And, um, you know, we went through an entire season of forging fire with people being really, really rough on the machines without a single failure. And that was uh, pretty monumental in that, even though they were somewhat skeptical because you saw, you know, change yeah, is always yeah, 
hard, right? right? right. And you're not an engineered, you're not a business like one of the guys who've been around for a hundred years. I mean, you're just like, you, they knew you because you were two, you know, contestants for, for the love of Pete. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, so that, that kind of, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really what happened. You know, we, um, when, when we delivered the machines and their tech guy was there and they're like, so where do you, so, so where are the springs? I'm like, oh, there's no springs. Really? I'm like, Yeah. And what happens when this fails? Well, you remove it in 30 seconds, and here's some extra ones. He was like, well, I think I'm going to be out of a job with you guys here. (laughs) I mean, it must be pretty amazing to turn the TV on and all all these guys are using your grinders on. The the most popular, and regardless of how you feel about it, Forge and Fire is the most popular and probably the most influential metalworking show that's been around for how many whatever how many years there i don't think there's another show that's been on as long as forge and fire and is as influential in metalworking as forge and fire I mean, that oh, must yeah, be pretty exciting i mean what other shows are, are, are more are more have more of a have more history in metalworking than forge and fire I'm saying metalworking. I'm saying I'm giving it to all of it. I mean, they're a welding show. I mean, Orange County Choppers and and and, and uh, Monster Garage weren't on for as long as Forge and Fire. Yeah, right, no, right. it's it's crazy. Um, it's definitely the interesting thing is Forge and Fire is now generating its own contestants. I mean, a lot of people that are going there, it's like, hey, I started making knives because I saw Forge and Fire and I figured something I wanted to do. And and that's still happening. And, you know, you were talking about market saturation earlier. And it's amazing when we go to these shows, the number of people that come up to us and say, hey, I just started making knives and I'm considering your grinder or I've been making knives for about a year and now I'm thinking about buying one of your grinders. It, it's crazy. I mean, it's probably 50 to 75% of the people we talk to at the shows start the conversation with those lines i tell you what i'm fascinated the the, one of the most amazing things is this past year at blade show was like there was originally 80 people who were going to to do the the journeyman smith test and turned out like 70 60 or 70 or something like that which is up from a maximum of like 15 and it's very, very clear that those, a lot of those kids, I mean, they're kids, they're in their 20s, they were either inadvertently or directly influenced by Forge and Fire. And you have to, you have to understand that this is now the generation that was brought up with maybe not watching it, but knowing it was there and know and then having some type of outer influence on their decision making. So, yeah, you're right. They're generating their own contestants. They're creating their own contestants from. I mean, how many years has that show been on? Eleven. Eleven. Seven. Years. Seven. That's it. That's only seven years. Yeah, they're on nine seasons, but oh, they nine, they've oh, done seven seasons. years, I think. But seven. Yeah, years. Some, yeah. Of the, some of the seasons were pretty short in the beginning. But I mean, that's the. Th- I mean, I met my friend uh, Jonathan Porter's a very close friend of mine. He's on like the first. The, the I know most of the guys from the first season. You know, Matt Parkinson and Mareko and all these guys. And it it is fascinating. Josh Smith, you know, and and all these guys. It is fascinating how there is this now this new generation that's born from that. I'll you know? I'll tell you what's amazing to me is how the craft has advanced 
and the quality of knives. I mean, look at the knives that were being produced seven years ago, even by mastersmiths. And I say this with all respect, but you look at the quality of the knives that, you know, mastersmiths are producing now. And even people that aren't, you know, associated with the ABS. Um, I mean, Salem is one of those guys. He's not associated with the ABS, but he's probably one of the best mosaic makers. I, I, not probably. He is one of the best mosaic makers without a, in without the a world. Doubt. Period. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Period. Period. Without, I well, don't yeah, think and I any- feel like that, that, that Master Smith quality and t- his target, is it's definitely a moving target. I th- I made the joke that people you know that what who is the knife maker who could walk off the street walk off the street and get master bladesmith designation Salem Straub could walk off the street and get master bladesmith de- designation I walk 100% off the street agree. walk off the street walk into the Cobb Center on a fucking on a Friday with whatever's in his bag and he's passing Yep, yep. I agree hundred percent Yeah having had the opportunity to work with him I one hundred percent agree with that I mean. He is so talented. I say Morocco too. Morocco too. Mor- yep. Off the street, Mor- off the street. Morocco's passing. We spent four days with Salem at his shop, and I learned more in those four days than in the previous, you know, seven years combined. And I tell you, he's a hell of a maker. He's an even better person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's. He, I've I've had him on a few times, and I do enjoy talking with him. And every time I mention it, I always say I got to get you back on sometime. And he's like, anytime you say the word, he's a he's a he's a fascinating individual um, with a with a very compelling story, very compelling story from like the depths. I mean, he's been down at the depths, and then he kind of rose out of it. He's a fascinating guy. Oh yeah, definitely. So. Tell me, what's the future look like for Broadback Ironworks? What's the future look like for Vince and Ryan? Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, interesting question. I mean, we're, we want to continue to be a, a part of the grinder uh, world. Um, we have a few other things that we're working, and we've learned not to share too much because... Um, Competition is fierce. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I trust me. But in a field of knife makers, you can't trust other knife yeah, makers. But um, but yeah, we're we're constantly evolving, and what we should to do is, by the time the rest of the industry is catching up with what we're doing, we're already a year ahead in development and other things. So we're we're always looking at six months to twelve months to eighteen months or so ahead. Um, you know, from a strategic standpoint. So um, don't really want to share too much. I'm not, I'm not really answering your question, but... It's fine. That's fine. Understand. I understand. So you got big, you got big fish to fry. Well, all right. So what's, what's, the, what's the future hold for Vince Molina? I know that, I know that you just tested for... Your, you, got your, you got your JS knives testing. You're going you're gonna to test this year? Yeah, I am. Uh, well, not this year. I'll, I'll, I'll test at Blade Show. Um, I already got... Four of my blades for my presentation knives done. Um, don't have handles on them yet, but I already got the blades for four of them done. And I'm trying to continue to do, you know, work on those. Uh, and then I'm hoping to be testing for my master's, you know, two, two years, two, three years after that. I mean, I really, it, it's something I want to do is, um, 
it's a personal goal of mine. Um, you know, it's um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I have a huge respect for the master smiths that are there now and what they've had to go through. And um, you know, I, I I want to earn a seat at that table. And, and not to mention, we never mentioned the fact that Ryan Broadbeck's knife company is Night Owl Forge, which I can imagine it's because you have all these kids and you have a million things to do. And the only time you have to time is make knives in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Hit the nail what's on the head going on for What's going on for Night Owl Forge? Well, um, since kind of really Broadbeck took off, my knife making has definitely taken a backseat to that. Um, I think in the past two years I've finished like five knives. Um, so I definitely, I love knife making. That's the whole reason I got into this. So that part of my goal is, is definitely to make more. Um, I'm scheduled right now to do my JS testing in Blade Show 2024. Um, me and Ben Seacrest will be doing that together. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I want I definitely want to get my JS. Um, and it is by no means for marketability for, you know, my knives or anything. I mean, obviously it helps, but I mean, it's, it's a personal thing of mine. Like I want to, you know, I, I like to learn all the ins and outs and I like to be good at, you know, stuff that I, you know, stand behind. And I mean, you know, the grinders themselves were originally designed for knife making and I want to make sure that I have that credibility there, that I'm an excellent maker and, you know, getting that JS and eventually an MS stamp will, you know, obviously certify some of that. And by the way, Ryan does also a good bit of blacksmithing and fabrication. So, um, you know, he he mentioned, you know, the grinders were originally started with knife making, but Ryan does a lot more, um, you know, with that. I mean, he's made some beautiful tables with like, you know, epoxy pores and all kinds of stuff. So he's he's very talented in that and and goes outside of knives. Me, I I focus on knife making exclusively, but but Ryan ventures more into, you know, other things. Yeah, I tend to I tend to make whatever I feel like making at the time. So, you know, sometimes it's yeah, like I I just finished a table for my wife um not too long ago. I you know has an epoxy pour um in a large pocket of it and I fully fabricated the base and everything and um, made my, uh, actually I traded a pipe tomahawk for my kitchen table top and I forged the legs for it as well. Um, and I still have to forge the legs for the bench, but that's a long story. Um, How do you have time for any of this, Ryan? You're like, I mean, night owl forge is going to turn into like, you know, two in the morning to two fifteen in the morning forge. I mean, how do you have time to do anything? Yeah. A lot of it's, uh, yeah. Lack of sleep. Um, which has caught up with me recently. Um, I've been slowing down a lot of my nighttime ventures because, yeah, sleep is definitely important. Yeah, see, I, I, I said for me, I, I try to spend my lunch hour in the forge every day. Um, so I kind of, it, it gives me a nice mental break in the middle of the day and it just... You know, I'm, I'm making all these knives, you know, one hour at a time. Ryan and Vince, Broadbeck Ironworks. Here's your last pitch. What do you want people to know about Ryan, about Broadbeck Ironworks? Anybody? 
What do you have to say? We have the Black Friday sips. They got the Black Friday sale coming up. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, let's see. Well, we got the Black Friday sale, obviously, like Jeff just said. Um, so we're doing a, a similar sales we did the last year. Uh, and our thinking behind it isn't just like straight up discount things. It is again, let's get you more for the money that you're spending. So you know, for a you know price of a premium package, you're getting the premium plus. So you're getting extra attachments for the same amount, getting more capability. So everybody you know can do better you know with the tools that they have. All right. I got to tell you one thing is I remember when Mareko sent me the original drawing to the Mareko Platin, and he sent it to me, and he says, "Yeah, I'm designing this for the Broadbeck guys," and I thought. Why would anybody want to eat another platen? What's wrong with the platen? And then when you sent it to me, I was like, God damn it, this platen is fucking awesome. I love this guy. I, I literally had the same reaction. I'm like, I'm this thinking is pointless. My, right, Why am I designing this right now? Mareka's <laughs> just like, hey, look, I'm designing a platen. I'm like, yeah, but they have a platen. He's like, no, but they don't have one like this. I'm like, all right. And then they sent it. I was just like, that goddamn, I, that goddamn Mareka platen is dynamite. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. That's all I run on everything now. Yeah, me too. Me too, and I'm convinced it's because there's the bigger wheel on the bottom, and for some reason I think it has more like torque. I don't know. Now, I don't know. I tell I, you I, what I like about that platen. When I'm after I forge a blade, I I knock all the scale and grind in my taper right there on that wheel, even before I start my flat grinds, and it cuts your production time yeah, by yeah. a ton because you're just able to be a lot more aggressive with it. Um, yeah, I love that thing. And, um, you know, if I had to add something to what Ryan said about Broadbeck is um, we're not the type of business that takes your money and run. You know, we're always here to support our customers, um, you know, before, during and after the sale. Um, We care about the community. It's not just a matter of making money. Uh, We want to make a difference. And that's kind of what drives us. It's not just you know, making money and achieving things is, is making a difference that, that has more substance for us than anything else. You said it all. Yeah. Yeah. That is honestly, I say one of my favorite things that I hear from customers is the fact that they, you know, were able to buy our machine and go full time and like go do what they love to make a living. And I mean, to me, that's, that is awesome. Broadback Ironworks guys making dreams come true. Making dreams come true. <laughs> Guys. Hey, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Did the Broadback make a difference in your shop? Oh, oh huge. It's my number one grinder. I say this on I fucking every week on Knife Talk. I got a file <laughs> of grinders, and it's my favorite grinder. I mean, it's the one that, like, when uh, when David, my, the guy who works here, is on it, I'm just like, I wish he wasn't on it. I wish he was on a different grinder because that's the one I – I mean, that's the one we all go to. So it's like, you know, it's – I, I, I mean, I – I really, really love it, and and I use it every day, and it's just never let me down. So, with that said, guys, listen. If you're listening to this and you're saying, "What's the big deal?" Go follow the guys on Instagram, Broadbeck Ironworks on Instagram. You can go to broadbeckironworks.com, see what they're doing. Definitely keep your eye out on the Black Friday sale. That's the sale. That's the big sale. And go, go ahead. That's it. <laughs> 
That's it. No more. I used to say, I used to say these, you never know. These guys are going to like pop, but you got to pop. You were popping up with sales every holiday. And I used to say, keep your eyes out on the holidays because they're doing something. And then Ben Seacrest sent me this message saying, we're only doing it on Black Friday. Don't say that anymore. So Black Friday's it, guys. So if you want to save that savings, go get yourself that Broadback Ironworks. Go get yourself their Broadback Ironworks stuff on Black Friday, but know this. If you ha- don't even have a grinder, or you have a grinder chassis and you're looking for attachments, their attachments are very uh, they're very user-friendly for, um, for other grinders as well. So, look, I've said it before and I say it again. I love the Broadback Ironworks, and, and Vince and Ryan are knife makers making grinders for knife makers and beyond metal workers and woodworkers and all that stuff so go follow go follow ryan that's night owl forge on instagram go follow vince that's dreamer forge knives on instagram and go follow broadback ironworks because they're good dudes man and then people people are behind them we're behind you guys and we've been behind you for the beginning and we're going to be behind you to the end all right thank you for joining me guys it was great to have you. Did you have a good time? It was oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. We've we've been wanting to tell our story and let people know, you know, little get to know us a little bit more and we appreciate the opportunity for sure. Absolutely, guys. Guys, listen, you heard what I had to say. You heard what Brian and Vince had to say. These are real people selling real things. Go check out what they're doing. Keep an eye out. Black Friday's coming up November 20th through the 27th. That's when the Black Friday sale is. And look, we'll see you later, guys. Thanks again, Ryan and Vince. I really appreciate you being here. Yes, thank you. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.